the first time that we came to High Street Worship Center, heard a message from Pastor Paul via the internet. And as I told my wife, I was so stirred. And I said, I wanted to come. When I came here, sat in the service. We tend to favor the side over here. Was caught up. And I'm not naturally a crier, but at the end of the service, I was just in tears because I felt the presence of the Lord being here. And it's not saying that other churches don't have the presence of God. I'm just speaking towards High Street Worship Center right now. The word, the spirit, the love that we felt from people who approached our family on that day, it left an impression that I never ever can forget that. And so in my life, because of things that I went through, I always found church to be the place to, to come, to access God's presence and to want to hear from him. So I'm very sensitive about that. And as I was listening to Pastor Paul, just speaking right now and just reflecting on that, it's so, and so important because of the brokenhearted and the downtrodden that may come through the doors. The answer for their lives is in the person of God. The place of refuge for us is in the person of God. And the means in which we communicate with God, the means by which we can hear him and be led by him is through prayer. And so this morning, our message is going to be about why do we pray? And I want to bring the word of God to you from Matthew, the sixth chapter. I'm going to read a number of passages out of here. And again, I'm a little filled at the moment because I didn't expect to go this way, but I'm following the inspiration of the Lord because that touched me deeply in remembering what the Lord did for me when I came in here. And we know God has something for this church. You're not here by accident. You're here by divine providence. Those that are listening by the web stream, the Lord causes you to come here. There, wherever he leads you, there is a purpose that God has for you. But the way that we stay connected and stay led by the Lord is through prayer. And so in going to Matthew, the sixth chapter, I'm going to begin with reading in verse 5. And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets that they may be seen of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like unto them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And I'm going to read the next two verses. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so, again, our theme for this message is why pray? Why pray? Let's go before the throne in prayer at this moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the leading of your spirit. We thank you for the ability to come and assemble together. We pray right now according to your word in Job 32, 7 and 8. that said, days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty gives him understanding. We pray right now for the understanding of the Holy Spirit to come in the hearts of each and every one that's listening to your word at this moment. Touch and change us, guide us, and give us revelation and enlightenment for your plan and purpose in the kingdom of God. Make us better so that we can be used more effectively for you. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' precious name. All of God's people say, amen. Amen. Why pray? And as we go through the word of God this morning and examining the scriptures, we want to ask some basic questions that we're going to get answers to. Why pray? How do we pray? And by what means do we pray? Why pray? How do we pray? And by what means do we pray? So the first question is why? Why pray? We see examples out in the world of prayer, other religions, even, even within Christendom. We hear many statements of people as to what prayer is. I'm going to start with a hard-hitting statement in the beginning, and we're going to go through and look at the Word of God in context. But prayer is not a means of manipulating God, nor is it a means to impress people. Prayer is communication and communicating with God so that he can move in the lives of people. And what we just read in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, if we go through this again where Jesus said, and when you pray, now look at what Jesus said. He didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray. So the first question is why pray? Over in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, Jesus gave a parable where he said, to this end that men ought always to pray and not faint. So the first question is why pray? It's because the Lord bids us to pray. But why does he want us to pray? Is it because as other religions have gods that they serve, that they fear the volcano god is going to be angry with them unless they make a sacrifice or unless they pray in a certain way to avoid calamity for happening? Is that the reason why we pray as Christians? No. 
we pray because we have relationship with the Lord. And what we're going to see as we go through these passages of Scripture again is prayer is relational-based. Prayer is relational-based. We don't pray, as what Jesus said, like the hypocrites. The word there in the Greek means an actor. And he's examining the motive of why this individual is praying, where he says they love standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the street that they may be seen of men. So we don't pray trying to impress people or trying to impress God. That's not the reason why we pray. Jesus says a startling statement here. He says, for those people that have that motivation, you already have your reward. We should never have a heart of feeling that we have to impress anybody. When you are going in prayer, your prayer is directional for the pleasure of one. That's almighty God. He is to remain the focus. He says for us to come and pray to him. And then Jesus is going through these different statements and saying where our hearts need to be when we pray. He says, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be an actor. Don't be concerned about other people and how you're praying. Focus on your heavenly father. In verse 6, he goes to say, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, what does Jesus mean by this? There's instances in the gospel where Jesus prayed out loud and there were other people who were witnessing when he was praying. So did Jesus mean literally every time you have to pray in secret and no one be around? No, this is a reflection of the heart again. The heart is that you're praying to the Father. When Jesus raised up Lazarus from the dead, he prayed out loud. He prayed in front of everybody. There were other instances that Jesus prayed so that people could understand how to pray. But the heart attitude is that we are praying to our Heavenly Father. And our motive is, Lord, you see my heart. And I'm praying to you. And I'm expecting you to receive my prayer and to answer me. So Jesus says here, don't be moved by trying to impress other people and to be seen. He says, your Father, who sees the secrets of your heart, will reward you openly. And then in verse 7, Jesus goes to say, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. What does he mean by vain repetitions? Again, going back to the example of those who are in false religions, some of them believe that the more they say things, they create mantras or there's even doctrines in Christendom where they say you have to say things over and over again to make something happen. Prayer is not a power in itself. Prayer is communicating with God. God is the power. He's a person. He's not a force. This isn't Star Wars. The Holy Spirit of God is a person. I remember when that movie came, series came out and there were Christians who put on a t-shirt and said, the force is with me. No, the Holy Spirit is God, the third person. He's a personality. Jesus said, the spirit of truth has come. He will guide you into all truth. He is a personality. So God is the power. He's the one that makes something happen. It's not about how many words we speak, and you can get inspired to where God has you to pray things more than once. Remember in the garden, Jesus dedicated and consecrated and said, Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The word of God says he prayed that three times, but it wasn't vain. 
He was dedicating and consecrating a matter that he was looking for the Father to confirm his will concerning that. And so there can be perplexities in our lives that we come and pray to the Lord over and over again until he reveals to us what his truth is. That's not vain. Vain repetition is coming and saying things with a heart attitude. Oh, I hope, Lord. I hope, I hope. And no, we don't pray like that. Because Jesus says here, therefore, in verse 8, and I didn't state that I was reading from the New King James Version, so I apologize for that for those who are following along with me. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 8, he says, therefore, do not be like unto them. Why? For your father knows the things that you have need of before you even ask him. This is relational. Why does God want us to pray to him and he already knows what we have need of? If we can touch with something from the Garden of Eden, when God made all of the animals, he named them, but then he made Adam and he brought the animals to Adam and he had Adam to name the animals and they both came to the same conclusion. See, God gave Adam the opportunity to walk out how he made him, but because he was thinking like God and he had the character like God, he came to the same conclusion in naming the animals like God. And so God was relating with Adam and allowing him the opportunity to be able to name the animals. What does this have to do with prayer? It says the father knows what things we have need of before we ask him, but he wants that exchange to be made from us to him because we have relationship. Jesus said you don't have to pray in vanity, but you are to pray knowing that your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. And so Jesus now tells the disciples and gives them a model for prayer. People title these passages of scripture the Lord's Prayer. Actually, more of the Lord's Prayer we can see in John 17 where he was praying with the disciples. But Jesus said, in this manner, therefore, pray. So he gave the disciples an outline, a model for them to pray. And as we go through these scriptures, take note of what Jesus has said in here. In verse 9, he said, after this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, what Jesus was not doing was making a declaration and saying the name of God ought to be hallowed or holy or sacred. He wasn't saying that. What he was saying for the mere mentioning of the name of God by us, we need to make sure that we know that the mentioning of God and referring to him is holy and is sacred. God was holy before you and I were created. So his, his character has never changed. But Jesus was saying, make sure that we recognize and know his name, the mention of his name is holy. And then the next level in prayer that we struggle with and it is a very difficult thing in our flesh, but we have to move as being children of God who will mature. He says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means we're praying, Lord, we want your will, not our will first, your will to be done. Now let's go back to the Garden of, of Eden for a second. When God made man, he made sure that the environment was perfect and he created a whole bunch of different trees that God told the man, 
of all the trees of the garden you may freely eat. That meant that if you and I were there, obviously we weren't, and we decided to pick a coconut, a banana, an apple, we couldn't say to each other, we're more spiritual because we picked a coconut and you picked a banana, you're not as spiritual. No, the Lord gave Adam the right to be able to choose of all the trees of the garden he may freely eat. So what does that mean? That means that there is a will within God where there's parameters that he gives to us that it's our choice of what we select to do, but it's within side of the will of God. So there is a will of God that he has placed you if you're working in a place of vocation where you live, that's the will of God for you. God didn't call me to your job. I don't live in the same house as you. But God's will for you is distinctly different, but yet we all come together with our individual paths and callings, gifts, talents, and abilities, but we all come together as one body. The will of God is for us to discern what he's speaking to us individually as well as collectively. So we have to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God may tell Brother Mike, it's time for him to receive that new car. He may not tell me this is my season for it, but should I be upset at Brother Mike for getting his car in this season? No. I don't know what he's done. I don't know what he's been through, but if God has appointed a time and season for him to receive this, I need to just rejoice and thank God. But there's a time and season for all of us, and as we pray, we say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Times and seasons are in the Father's control. And as we pray, we're asking the Lord, your will be done. That's why it's important for us to pray. Then he ends up saying, Jesus, in this model prayer for the disciples. In the English renderings, it's, it's a little vague because it says, give us this day our daily bread. But in the original Greek language of how this verse is in the tense that it's rendered in, it's in the aorist tense, which means that it has, it's, it's something that happened in time past, that they don't put a definition as to when exactly it happened. But what Jesus was saying, just like the analogy of Israel in the wilderness receiving manna, he was saying, you will give us this day our daily bread. So now he moves over from the petition and saying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he says, you will provide for us. You will give us this day our daily bread. Then he says, and you will forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What did Jesus model for them? He did the same thing as what the word of God says in Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. A supplication means request. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. See, if we're not convinced about the character of God, we're going to misunderstand a whole lot of things. But within the character of God and understanding that God is love, the reliance upon God to provide for us, Jesus is saying, thank God in prayer. Lord, you will give us this day what we need. You'll give us this day our daily bread. And you will forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's a relationship. The false gods that are out here in the world and other religions a lot of them have questionable moral character. First of all, we know they're not real, okay? But when people make up gods, they make them in their flawed image. And so different religions, you can go and see the gods lie, steal, kill, cheat, and people fear them 
and they make these sacrifices and mantras to them. But our Heavenly Father is not like that at all. What Jesus ended up sharing with the disciples in Matthew chapter 18, after verse 1, he spoke about the unjust judge. He said that this widow woman kept coming to that judge and saying, avenge me of my adversary. And the judge said, if I don't do something about her, she's going to end up wearing me down, getting on my nerves. Jesus said, your heavenly father is not like that at all. His character is that he loves us. And one of the things that he promised to do was to give us our daily bread, to provide for us. So having that confidence, we pray and we thank him in advance before we see the manifestation of it. And we also have to forgive because later on in the passage, he said, if we don't forgive men their trespasses, our father will not forgive us. Unforgiveness will put you in a prison and the sins of other people can come over your life and make you to be exactly what that sin is. That's a principle that Jesus said in John chapter 20 where he said, if you, whosoever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And whoever sins you retain, they're retained. That sin will sit on top of your head and you get offended at that person and then later on you will start to conform to that very sin in your life because you've retained it. That's why he said we have to forgive. We have to let it go. And Jesus will be able to move us forward. In this model prayer in verse 13, he says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Again, the Greek tense is reflecting the fact that he's making a declaration. You will not lead us into temptation, but you will deliver us from the evil one. Our loving heavenly father, the word of God says, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. He doesn't use the devil to try to teach us. The adversary is here, but God, the Holy Spirit, is responsible for teaching us, not the devil. Now, I know some people may teach that, but the word of God says differently, and let God be true and every man a liar. Amen, church. The Spirit of God will lead us and guide us into all truth. Jesus said that in John chapter 16. So that's the one that we have to look to to teach us. God is not going to deliver you into the hands of the evil one. Jesus ends this by saying, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He's giving us that relationship stance to say, I expect this of my loving heavenly father and I can be confident in this. And that's how we are to pray. Again, verse 14 and 15 says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father also forgive you. We have to stay free. And when we pray, if there's something that somebody has done to us, we need to forgive. Now, this is another tough thing that we have to remember inside of church. We're people. And Jesus said it's impossible, but that offenses will come. So sometimes there could be offenses, and I'm going to use Brother Mike again because he's up here. If I got offended with Brother Mike for some reason, now I may have to come and talk to Pastor Paul or somebody else, but in my heart, I need to come to Brother Mike. And Brother Mike, I have no offense against you, okay? I, I need to eventually come to him to clear up that offense because that blocks God from being able to move in our lives if I don't do that. The Word of God says that husbands, if we're bitter against our wives, our prayers could be hindered. Now, all the married ladies, you missed your opportunity to say amen. He said that. Why? So that the spirit is free unto God and God can move. It's important for us to maintain that clear atmosphere between us and God, and that's in prayer. You know that we are ambassadors for Christ Jesus, the word of God says. 
And as an ambassador, an ambassador is a person that represents a country, but they're in a country that's not their home country. And our home country, our citizenship is in heaven, the word of God says. And so as ambassadors for Christ, prayer is our means of staying in communication with the home country, with our sovereign king. And it's not just, Lord, give me, but it's also listening. Lord, what do you want me to do? Remember Ananias, who God spoke to about the apostle Paul? Before the apostle Paul started preaching, he said he wanted him to go and pray for him. And Ananias said, Saul of Tarsus, I've heard by many how much evil this man has done. But, An but the Lord spoke to Ananias in prayer and said, go your way. He's a chosen vessel. And the beauty that I love about what this man did was that he walked in before Paul had written any epistles, before Paul had preached the message, and he called him Brother Saul. He embraced him as a brother because God said he's a chosen vessel but he received that instruction in prayer. As ambassadors, we need to stay in communication with God. Now, another thing that people have a misconception about is that they believe that God actually can have his mind to be changed as we pray. And actually, that's not a true statement. The word of God goes to show that one of the characteristics of God, one of his attributes, is that God is immutable meaning that he does not change. The written word of God says in Malachi 3, 6, I am the Lord, I change not. The word of God says in James 1, 17, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, which means changing, neither shadow of turning. And in Hebrews 13, 8, the word of God says Jesus Christ is same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, why am I saying that? Because... People think God doesn't want to bless us, but see, that goes to the gods of the heathen, the way of the world. Their gods, they have to bribe and try to coerce to try to bless us. But Jesus said, your heavenly father knows the things that you have need of, and he wants to give it to you. What did Jesus say over in John chapter 16, verse 23 and 24? He said, ask, and you shall receive. He said that your joy may be made full in asking the Father in his name. Now, Jesus would not have given us that instruction unless God wanted him to relay this so that we can do it. In other words, God wants us to pray to him. God wants to relate to us. Now, many times people, we go back to the word of God and we start evaluating how God views us but we start at Moses' law. And if you start at Moses' law, you will see all these commands and stipulations and injunctions that will make people really terrified and think, you know, oh, what do I really think about God? But if you're going to do that, you need to really go back to Genesis. You need to go back to the beginning. God made a perfect environment for man. God put man on the earth without sickness, disease, and infirmity. God provided, and the man was not lacking anything. And God went so far as to tell the man, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of it, because in the day that you eat of it, in the Hebrew it says, dying, you shall die. Love makes a decision and a choice. Love doesn't force itself upon anyone. So God made an invitation for the man to rightfully relate to him, 
That's why he left that tree there as a manner of choice. God gives us a choice in relating to him today. That's why we have to choose salvation in Christ Jesus. And in understanding God's love, that he really does want to relate to us, gives us the ability and the confidence of being able to approach him in prayer. There's nothing worse than feeling like someone's tolerating you, but they really don't want to be around you. That's not how our Heavenly Father is. One thing that the Lord spoke to my heart, and I'm going to turn to the scripture over in Isaiah chapter 62. Actually, it's chapter 61 and verse 10. Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Many of us who have come to know the Lord, we receive salvation from him. We've been forgiven of our past sins. And there's something that can linger if we've listened to religion, that you can still say, the God who's afar off, he forgave me of my sins, but I feel so guilty for what I've done. I feel so bad. I don't want to bother God anymore. Or will God really hear and listen to my prayer? The word of God says here in this precious verse that he's not only given us the garments of salvation, but he's covered us with the robe of righteousness. What does righteousness mean? It means that we were forgiven, but now God's going a step further than just saying, I've forgiven you your sins. When he's put the robe of righteousness of white upon us, he's saying, I'm giving you the ability and the right to come towards me. I'm not just forgiving you, but I've invited you to be in my family and I want you to come to me. Just like the prodigal son who went away and came back and the father put on the ring, put the robe on him and celebrated, relationship was restored. That's how the father God has done with us and our salvation. He's given us the garment salvation, but then we get the robe of righteousness from who? Christ Jesus. He says in Hebrews, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Guess what? All of us have sinned in time past, but when the blood of Jesus has been applied to our life, the word of God says in Colossians that the handwriting of ordinances that was written against us was nailed to his cross and the blood that never loses its power erased them all away. So when we come before the Father in the righteousness of Jesus and we say, Father, I come before you, the accuser of the brethren will come and say, you sinned, you did this, you did that. You have no right to come before God. That robe of righteousness says, no, my father wants to, me to come to him. My father wants to relate to me. And in that righteousness and in that authority in Christ Jesus, you then have the ability to say, Satan, shut up in the name of Jesus. Because this is a matter between me and my father. The robe of righteousness that all of the people of God 
have the ability to approach the throne of God in prayer. And guess what? Nobody has a better place in the kingdom of God than anyone else. We're all God's children. So Pastor Paul is our pastor, and he has a ministry that God has blessed him to pray. But guess what? You have that same ability to pray. And we will be a blessing to Pastor Paul and Pastor Kathy in continuing to pray for them as well as for each other. But each and every one of you have that ability. The robe of righteousness has been given to you that you can boldly approach the throne of God and pray in Jesus' name. You should not feel guilty about past sins. You should not feel like you're a smoking flax or a broken and bruised reed and God can't use you. No. He says, I place the robe on you and I want you to approach me because I want to interact not just in your life but in the lives of others. You are an ambassador. And the Lord just doesn't forgive you. He loves you and wants you to approach him. This is the confidence that we have in him, that we can boldly approach him in Jesus' righteousness. Now the word of God says, by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourself. We are not saying in our own self that we can approach God, but in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing should hinder us from approaching the Lord in prayer because Jesus has made the way for us. That's why he tore the, the, the veil of the temple to signify and show that way through him, through him dying on the cross, has made us able to approach the Father. So this morning, this afternoon, this time, the Lord's bidding you be confident in approaching your heavenly Father. Remember what he told Mary. He said, touch me not. I've not ascended yet to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. He was saying, we now have relationship because the blood has paid the price and the robe of righteousness has been placed on you and now we're all the family of God. So this morning, this afternoon, this day, each and every one of you are able to pray in Jesus' name and approach the Father. And guess what? The Lord wants you to do that. Why pray? Because the Lord wants that. Why should we pray? Because he's enabled us to. He loves us, he loves you, and he wants to use you in this life. There's a song I asked to be played at the conclusion of this message, that there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood and lose all their guilty stains. The Old Testament saints used to make so many sacrifices that their hands were stained with the blood of those animals. And every time they lifted up their hands towards God, they were reminded we're looking for salvation. We see the stain of blood on our hands. Our sins are covered. But one day, the Messiah, the Redeemer will come. Well, thank God the Messiah has come. Jesus has come. And the stain of sin is no longer on our hands, but we've been washed white by the blood of the Lamb. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. No guilt, no shame. The Lord has forgiven you. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God who justifies, and therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
High Street Worship Center, come boldly to the throne. Pray without ceasing to your loving Heavenly Father who bids you to come. That's the word for today. You are not hindered from accessing the presence of God. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justified. Who will separate you from the love of God? Nothing. God loves you. Remember this, approach him and the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you today that we can approach you, not through our righteousness, but through the righteousness of our Lord and Savior. And Father, I thank you that your trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord who sit here today, that they are empowered by your word of truth to pray, to ask and keep on asking that their joy might be made full because Jesus said, I have come, that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Thank you for your desire to relate to us and for giving us boldness in the day of judgment. Thank you for what ministry you have spoken over High Street Worship Center to accomplish in this area of Burlington County and Burlington City. Thank you that this church stands upon the rock Christ Jesus and the gates of hell will not prevail. But we thank you for stirring within all of the congregation of High Street Worship Center to lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting, to keep the pastors in prayer, to pray one another while we look for the return of our Lord and Savior. Thank you for that this morning, God, that we're encouraged, that guilt and shame cannot block us from accessing your presence because of the blood that will never lose its power, has given us access to come before your presence. We thank you that we relate to you in the finished works of Jesus. And so today, we give you thanks, honor, glory, and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.